Shot number five, shot number six. One more shot and I'm gonna be sick. When we started it was light. Must have drank all through the night. Bang, bang. One night cap down. Bang, bang. I hit the ground. Bang, bang. That awful sound. Bang, bang. Nightcap shot me down. Quarantine came and changed the time, and Ida told us it would be fine. She would always laugh and say, Gator, I wish you were gay. Bang, bang. Another nightcap down. Bang, bang. You hit the ground. Bang, bang. That awful sound. Bang, bang. Nightcap shot you down. Music played and Amelie sang Finally found her on the Blu-ray Dang Where's the time gone? I'm not gonna lie One more shot and I think I'll cry when this app's done, let's say goodbye. Let this be a lesson, never podcast time. Bang, bang. Another nightcap down. Bang, bang. I hit the ground. Bang, bang. That awful sound. Bang, bang. Nightcap shot me down. <laughs> Nightcaps at the theater and we're here to party. Okinawa one way. There can only be one thing that's on the marquee today. That's right, it's Kill Bill Part 1. So take out your Hattori Hanzo katana and wiggle your big toe. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Nightcaps at the Theater. I am, of course, one of your co-hosts. Um, I'm Jonathan Kwiatkowski. I look like a candy cigarette, but I taste like methanol. And I'm here, of course, with my Discord daddy, none other than... How do you do that? You, what do you mean? You, you make the intro sound so effortless, and then I come in and uh, I just uh, derail this whole thing. Yeah, I, just, uh, I used to... <laughs> when it, when it, whenever it's my turn to do the intros, I, I need like five minutes to pause and reflect and uh, yeah. think about what I'm going to say, but you just, yeah, you got it ready to go. You forget, right. I'm a bullshit artist. That's uh, what I am. That is fair. <laughs> um, 
Let's see who is. See, this is what I mean. I, yeah. I literally, who are you? It, who I am. <laughs> I probably should not be part of this podcast anymore. <laughs> nope. I, I got you, you too. You, you have no other choice. More episodes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Thankfully, I am Matt. Surface Duo, more like oh. Surface Donto Cabrera. Oh. Hot takes this early in, huh? <laughs> uh, not too much of a hot take. That is a uh, $1,400 phone from Microsoft that uh, I just am not having any part of. Oh my I goodness. Was, it, it was like, it was. I was having wet dreams about it up until they announced the price. And then everybody's like, $1,400? Well. Oh, I thought this is what sent you on this buying fast that you're on, which, you know, no. that's that's what I go to you for. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, just the crushing amounts of debt did it for me this time. Oh, no. Every, every, back? <laughs> every year or so, I decide to check my my credit card and bank accounts and see where we see where I stand. And um, that usually results in a shopping freeze, at least oh. temporarily. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I cashed in $10,000 worth of bonds bonds whoa what, what even are those i know i oh, it was a process but apparently i had bonds bonds, bonds. john's bonds sponsor for this podcast <laughs> my bonds so i could survive another year if i moved to thailand oh i just I, where do you even get those i you, you had, just had them it's like yeah, bitcoin were, it just shows up in your life at some point <laughs> I went downstairs into my coffin, you know, my, my coffers and my coffin, and I, I searched and I rummaged and I found some bonds. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like really? paper, little rascals, <laughs> fucking bonds. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for my blank check moment. Oh, uh, I wish. 1996 Disney original movie. I don't know if that's if that's the right year, but I'm going to pretend it is. I, I think it's I'm, close enough. I'm sure. I probably know more than blank check already than anybody else deserves to or or needs to mm. on this earth. Mm. And by 1996, I of course meant 1994. I did not yeah. just Google that. Yep. <laughs> so what are we All doing right. here? Uh, what are we doing here? Uh, it's not our fright caps at the theater marathon just oh, no. yet. Yeah, Matt's still cooking on that, um, but I've got one more pick, kind of with the tail end of summer, but now that I look at the calendar, it's almost October, but I guess this works kind of, sort of, too. Days, um, months, seasons mean nothing anymore. They literally don't, because this year is a joke, as we've often said. Um, I have yet to see Matt in person, <laughs> and I probably won't until next year, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very true. Not since the beer start beard started growing. I wish I could grow some beer. Yeah, ferment it in the tub. Yeah, maybe that's what I'll pick up. Everyone's picking up hobbies now. Yeah, just... <laughs> bootlegging. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just losing massive amounts of money. Uh, well, I'm there with you, except these bonds, they're coming in. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, I have some hints that I left with you. Um, I didn't want to spoil it because this movie is iconic enough that I have to be careful about what I'm choosing to uh, give as a hint to you. Hmm. So I'll repeat them once more. The first hint was Okinawa One Way. And the second hit was, um, if any of you bitches have anything to say, now's the fucking time. I literally have no clue. I All think right. I, I think these are popular clues. People seem to, um, well, not people. I, the two people that listen to this program are like, okay, <laughs> I know what the next movie is, and yeah. I am at a loss. Um, Okinawa, I want to say that is is of a, a town in Japan, if mm-hmm. not a city. It could um, be. That's that's my guess, but we already watched Lost in Translation, and yeah. no other movies take place in Japan. None that oh, ever existed. Oh, some, oh, <laughs> I just thought of something. 
Oh, did you know? Yes. Yeah. Huh. Wait, what was the second hint again? I'm bad at listening. If any of you bitches have anything to say, now's the fucking time. <laughs> this could still apply, but I'm not <laughs> sure it does. From the first um from the first clue. I almost said yeah. quote. From the first clue that you well, I guess both would apply. But the the thing you said to kick us <laughs> off. Yes. I was thinking Wait, something else that recently came out did take place in Japan. Well, um, something uh, somewhat animated, um, <laughs> kind of in. I, I suppose it can be considered animation. Yeah. But um, and then the second thing you said, well, it doesn't sound like something that would be <laughs> in a children's movie, movie. I'm thinking of. Yeah. yeah. But because of because of the content of the word bitches. <laughs> Now I, oh, I know what you're thinking, and it's not that, <laughs> but I want to hear your guess. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was thinking, Isle of Dogs. No, I love Anderson. that movie. Yeah, and it's honestly the clues that you gave us fit Okinawa, or I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, one way, you know, like uh, the trash island that the dogs yep. went to, one way journey, and then uh, bitches. Dogs are bitches. Not yes. all dogs, but. Huh. <laughs> roughly half of all dogs are bitches no roughly half (laughs) um yeah that's something i would do if i was feeling a little bit mean-spirited because i guess they kind of apply in the loosest sense of the word but (laughs) no those are just two direct quotes from this movie that are lesser known but still popularized those are the kind of hints that i would give yeah um, just fuck with you um so Um, no i'm still at a complete loss all right my third hint is another famous line uh katana na 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 Is okay. Wait, there is another movie. It doesn't yeah. take place in Japan, but it definitely is inspired by mm-hmm. Japanese culture. But you, you said it was a short one, so I know we're not fucking watching Kill Bill. Oh, it's it's. Uh, did I say short? I said not Ooh. as long as something else. But um, woo! one of the Kill Bills. Ah, uh, if I say ooh, ooh, would you get it? Is that I believe, yeah, it is, and I, I think it is the shortest one in, in his filmography. And I am excited to watch this. If it is what I'm thinking of, but I really don't remember any of the. Oh no, no yeah, <laughs> something just clicked. Yeah, and and you know what? I was close with my Isle of Dogs <laughs> guest because we yeah. are watching Tarantino's uh-huh. Barefoot and Naked Reservoir Dogs. No. Oh, damn it. Isn't that from... You know what? I get my Tarantino confused. I, I could have sworn that was from Reservoir Dogs. No. That's, um, you know, uh, stuck in the middle with you. Yeah, but I thought there was also yeah. a little bit of woo-oo, woo-oo-oo. <laughs> so, no. okay, then what What could it be? I guess uh, I'm just going to start fucking well, drilling no, you, them out. You said, you said it already. You know what it is. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, because I was going to start guessing Pulp Fiction. Uh, Brown. Let's see. But which one would it be? Would we watch? Pri- oh, are we doing both? Are we doing the no. whole bloody affair? No, not on your life. No. <laughs> I, I don't remember woohoo, woohoo, woo in this. Well, they only go to Japan in one volume of this two volume series. I, they all mesh together for me. Well, the second uh... one, she's in. I don't know if this is a spoiler. She's she's in a she's underground for like three quarters of the movie. So I'm gonna guess mm-hmm. it's. <laughs> wait, is, doesn't the first one end on? the 
now I'm just spoiling it. I hope nobody's anybody who's listening. I hope you've seen this already. Um, I believe the first movie ends with her on a plane. Mm-hmm. So, is she heading to Japan or heading back from Japan? I don't know. This uh, story is uh, doesn't take place in the correct order. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna guess. Would we? Would we watch part two before part? Well, it's a 50-50 shot. I'm not going to hold you guys any longer. Mm-hmm. It's, um... <laughs> you remember how confident I was with Reservoir Dogs? I, uh, I remember. Uh, Jesus. Part two. Or volume no. two. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. By process of elimination, Kill Bill volume three. Nope. I wish it was out, but it's not a thing yet. I, nope. I don't know what else there is, then. Could it be... Well, we're watching Kill Bill Volume 1, Matt. Ah. <laughs> yes. I um, See, I remember, and I was just I was just whistling this the other day for some reason. I remember, um, and now, of course, I'm drawing a blank. The Twisted Nerve. Um, I, I don't know sequence. what it is, actually. It's um the... Uh... It's do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Yeah. Yeah, Twisted Nerve. Yep. I can't whistle, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> interesting okay wow yeah so uh kill bill volume one my last hint was going to be my favorite tarantino movie because it is um as i've stated before my favorite tarantino film uh i'm still waiting on volume three to come out but uh, (laughs) i have some light background not a lot to get through and it's not as long as a movie that i normally pick it's like an hour 30 something i think really that is quite short yeah i did not know it was that short it's not it's not that long i i believe um, if not, it, it flows really well. It's a, a snappy film. Uh, so Kill Bill Volume 1 is a 2003 American martial arts film written and directed by one Quentin Tarantino. It stars Uma Thurman as the bride who swears revenge on a team of assassins made up of Lucy Liu, Michael Madsen, Daryl Hannah, and Vivica A. Fox, and their leader, Bill, who is played by David Carradine, the late David Carradine, um, after they try to kill her and her unborn child. Her journey takes her to Tokyo, where she battles the Yakuza in this first part. Um, Tarantino conceived Kill Bill as an homage to grindhouse cinema, including martial arts films, samurai cinema, blaxploitation films, and spaghetti westerns. It features an anime sequence by production IG, who are famous for such animes as (laughs) Matt would know, (laughs) Uh, Psychopaths, Eden of the East, Ghost in the Shell, Tales of Symphonia, the video game. Yeah, Yeah. Ghost of the Shell is the big one. These are all all games as well. Psychopaths is a game now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It is the first of two Kill Bill films made in a single production. Uh, The films were originally set for a single release, but the film with a runtime over four hours was divided into two. Volume 1 became Tarantino's highest grossing film up to that point, earning over $180 million at the box office. And Kill Bill Volume 2 was released the next year on April 16th, 2004. Perhaps a future watch on this pod, because I love this series. Mm -hmm. Um, Writer-director Quentin Tarantino and actress Uma Thurman conceived of the bride character and her revenge path during the production of Tarantino's 1994 film Pulp Fiction. Uh, The film credits the story to Q and U, Quentin and Uma. Uh, Tarantino spent a year and a half writing the scripts while he was living in New York City in 2000 to 2001, spending time with Uma Thurman and her newborn daughter, Maya, who you can catch on Stranger Things. (laughs) Um, She's the ice cream girl. Oh yeah, yeah. The, uh, yeah. And yeah. it's Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. That's a famous baby. Yep. She's going <laughs> uh, places. 
Yeah, to reunite with a more mature actress, furthermore, a mother influenced the way he wrote the bride character. Um, when Thurman became pregnant, as shooting was ready to begin, Tarantino delayed the production, saying, if Josef van Sternberg is getting ready to make Morocco and Marlena Dietrich gets pregnant, he waits for Dietrich. And this is a reference just for me, because <laughs> I am a Marlena Dietrich stan, and I agree with that statement. I think that no other actress could really play it the way that Uma Thurman did. I mean, maybe if Lucy Liu and her swapped roles in some way, I could see Lucy Liu playing the main character, but Uma Thurman feels iconic in this role. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it's a Tarantino joint that she excels in. Um, although the scenes are presented out of chronological order, the film was shot in sequence, which always interests me. Uh, <laughs> choreographer Wu Ping Yuan, whose previous credits include The Matrix, uh, was the film's martial art advisor. The anime sequence covering Oren Ishii's backstory was directed by Kazuto Nakazawa and produced by Production IG, which, as I said, can um, be known for Ghost in the Shell and Blood the Last Vampire, um, at least in my realms, that's what I know them for. Uh, the combined production lasted 155 days and had a budget of $55 million. Um, according to Tarantino, the most difficult part of making the film was trying to take myself to a different place as a filmmaker and throw my hat in the ring with other great action directors, as opposed to the dialogue scenes he was known for. Mm -hmm. Kill Bill was planned and produced as a single film, as we said. After shooting ended and editing began, Harvey Weinstein, boo, <laughs> get out the buzzer, ew, <laughs> ew. Um, was known for pressuring filmmakers to shorten their films, suggested that Tarantino split the film in two. This meant Tarantino did not have to cut scenes such as the anime sequence. Tarantino later told IGN, I'm talking about scenes that are some of the best scenes in the movie, but in this hurtling face or pace uh, where we're trying to tell only one story, that would have been the stuff that would have had to go first. But to me, that's kind of what the movie was, are these little detours and these little grace notes. Uh, the mm -hmm. decision to split the film was announced in July 2003. And I, I think that's an interesting move, too, just to split it into two films. I, I think oh, yeah. it paid off that they were released back to back. I remember being hyped about this. Um, but yeah. we'll get into my backstory a little bit later with it. <laughs> I think maybe spacing them out a little bit more would have helped. Yeah. Just because people um, felt like they were being cheated a bit out of their money. I don't... Um, maybe. Maybe. Um, as with Tarantino's previous films, Kill Bill features a diverse soundtrack. Uh, genres include country music and spaghetti western scores by Ennio Marconi. Also, rest in peace. Mm -hmm. um, uh, release and reviews. Kill Bill Volume 1 was released in theaters on October 10th, 2003. It was the first Tarantino film in six years following Jackie Brown in 1997. In the United States and Canada, Volume 1 was released in 3,102 theaters and grossed $22 million on its opening weekend. Uh, Paul Deragarbadian, uh, president of Exhibitor uh, Relations, said Volume 1's opening weekend gross was significant for a very genre-specific and very violent film that the United States was restricted to theatergoers 17 years and up. Um, it ranked first at the box office, beating School of Rock in its second wow. weekend, Intolerable Cruelty in its first. Um, I've never seen Intolerable Cruelty, but no, I to look into that. Uh, volume 1 had the widest theatrical release and highest grossing opening weekend of a Tarantino film to date. Uh, Jackie Brown and Pulp Fiction, 1994, had each grossed $9.3 on their opening weekends. According to the studio, exit polls showed that 90% of the audience was interested in seeing the second Kill Bill after the first. I mean, why wouldn't you? You've been through half of the story anyway. <laughs> why not Why not cap it off? Yeah, uh, volume, one, volume 1 had a record opening in Japan, though expectations were even higher due to the film being partially set there and because of its homages to Japanese martial arts cinema. 
It grossed a total of $70 million in the United States and Canada and $110.9 million in other territories for a worldwide total of about $181 million. Um, according to Rotten Tomatoes, Kill Bill Volume 1 has a score of 85%, which I think should be higher, at least in my, uh, you know, my movie viewing experience. But, I think uh, so too. What are you going to do? Kill Bill, is yeah. uh, Kill Bill is admittedly a little more than a stylish revenge thriller, albeit one of the benefits from a widely invented surf fight of style. Um, Roger Ebert gave it four out of four. Um, he had glowing praise for Quentin Tarantino, uh, saying that his technique of film reminds him of a virtuoso violinist racing through Flight of the Bumblebee. He, he has the weirdest analogies, Mr. <laughs> Ebert. I don't whatever i guess we can compare those two i like uh, it <laughs> I, I feel like it's it's almost a trite comparison like it sounds like something that um many people have said before but i don't think i've ever actually heard it said in this context so i like mm-hmm. it he could have used a, a green hornet joke there though it like writes itself because when she goes to japan the green hornet is playing <laughs> uh, all right whatever um cultural historian maude levin uh, states that the bride's embodiment of revenge taps into viewers' personal fantasies of committing violence. For audiences, particularly women viewers, the character provides a complete, uh, complex site for identification with one's own aggression. So I can only imagine when uh, that Fantasia lady, if she lived to see <laughs> Kill Bill Volume 1, the heart attack that she must have had in the audience. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, <laughs> she, yeah, I wish. Her head would have just exploded, popped right <laughs> off. <laughs> Uh, The Guardian wrote that Kill Bill's plot shares similarities with the 1973 Japanese film Lady Snowblood, currently available on the Criterion Collection and on uh, HBO Max, I believe, Hmm. in which a woman kills off the gang who murdered her family and observed that like how Lady Snowblood uses stills and illustration for parts of the narrative that were too expensive to film, Kill Bill similarly used Japanese animation to break up the narrative. The plot also resembles the 1968 French film The Bride Wore Black, in which a bride seeks revenge on five gang members and strikes them off a hit list as she kills them. Mm. Um, Uma Thurman received a Golden Globe Best Actress nomination in 2004. Uh, She was also nominated in 2004 for a BAFTA Award uh, for Best Actress in a Leading Role. Um, in addition, with four other BAFTA nominations, Kill Bill Volume 1 was placed in Empire's Magazine, list of the 500 greatest films of all time at number 325, and The Bride was also ranked number 66 at Empire Magazine's 100 Great Movie Characters. Very um, nice. Neither no, Kill no Bill... Oscar nom, yeah, huh? yeah, yeah, that was the next note. Neither Kill Bill movie received any Academy Award slash Oscars nomination. Um, and my last trivia, because I had to throw it in right now, the Pussy Wagon Vehicle from Kill Bill Volume 1 <laughs> made a cameo in the music video for Lady Gaga's song Telephone featuring Beyonce at Tarantino's request. <laughs> wow. The, okay. <laughs> Please use my Pussy Wagon. <laughs> Please use my Pussy Wagon, which huh. I loved. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised even like Tarantino, he was up on uh, Gaga and Beyonce. Yeah. He's always looking at that. He Didn't he... He's not behind Machete Kills in any way, is he? Uh, he Just the original Machete, I believe, oh, okay. from uh, Grindhouse. Because uh, Gaga pops up in one of those movies. Hmm. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's all the notes I have. Um, I'm going to save most of what I have for the plot summary slash enter the plot because this is a movie that I'm very tight with. Um, I have stated before that I think that it is time, post-COVID, whenever he's ready... Even though Tarantino is constantly like, I'm not going to do it. It's not my next movie. I'm going to leave cinema. Uh, show me them feet. 
<laughs> I'm not going to make a volume three starring Zendaya, even though she won the Emmy and would be perfect in this role. Mm. But uh, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But mm-hmm. uh, any initial thoughts, experiences with this film, Matthew? Yeah, and I wonder maybe even um, Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke's daughter could be in the movie as well. Yeah, that could yeah. happen. She could like be it. a... Uh, well, I don't want to spoil. She could be a, a certain character. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I'm excited for this one. This is I, I I watched it so long ago, as you could probably tell from me trying to figure out what we're watching. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember just especially part one. I, I'm very glad that we're watching part one because I remember this one especially is just kind of like nonstop action sequence after action sequence, or, you know, maybe it's not necessarily all action, but it's all really uh, interesting and it really grabs you. And yeah. Leaves you on this, on the edge of your seat. Mm-hmm. It'd be like we're at the actual cinema show. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, experiencing it all over again. And maybe yeah. I think I've only seen it maybe probably like once, maybe <gasps> twice. And yet you sat through Once Upon a Time in Hollywood how many times? <laughs> only only once, but it felt like oh. 900. Oh, because I've watched that three times and I thought, you know, that was slightly more. But it is a shorter <laughs> side. Um, uh, I like that they divided it into two parts. I will say oh, that yeah. part one, in my opinion, flows a little bit better than part I two. Think so too. Um, just because it's more stylized, more to look at, more action zaniness. Not to say that part two doesn't have that, because I also love when someone's eyes get ripped out of their head. <laughs> <laughs> in a comedic way but um yeah, part two it feels like a little more grounded which yeah. you know after you watch part one you're kind of expecting maybe like more of part one you're expecting like part one but bigger so mm-hmm. uh, yeah volume two is a little it's different in what and mm-hmm. how it uh manages your expectations yeah and i will discuss how this movie somehow despite being one of the bloodiest movies ever didn't traumatize me as a child but in fact enthralled me <laughs> Which... Yeah, I think it's more like um, it is like some old kung fu or samurai movies where I guess it's just so over the top that it's like it. I don't know. It's like you're watching an anime or you're watching like a cartoon or something. <laughs> but Matt, you would never watch an anime. Well, it's true. <laughs> Only one: Cowboy Bebop and half of Death Note, and that's it. I'm like, well, seen them once, seen them all. Yeah, yeah. Um, so with that do you have anything else to say before i send the audience off into the break realm <laughs> <laughs> nope i uh i, I guess <laughs> i was gonna whistle but i forgot what that damn tune was again it's okay uh either way we're nightcaps at the theater and we're here to party <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> Just kidding, we're here to fuck. Ah, it's worth it now, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I remember that, too. That was, like, my first Kill Bill memory. I mean, I watched it, my 
no my okay so this is a long story so bear with me i know we're 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 coming back after watching kill bill volume one and i'm already giving you elements from my childhood so and just like that movie i have no i have no clue what to expect now from this story yeah my my parents um we they they got the dvd and we had two dvd players because we were that kind of caucasian family (laughs) and one was hooked up to a speaker system and one was like on standby or whatever and me and my parents sat down because my parents are always like, you know, Jonathan, you have to be experienced to uh, cinema, even though they watch shit TV and everything <laughs> else like that. But so they start playing the movie okay. and being the Broadway knowing person that I am, I'm like, guys, the Chicago soundtrack is playing during this movie. Is this a, a Tarantino choice or is this part of the movie? And we watched the movie for a good solid 30 minutes. So you have like all that jazz and all that jazz. And you have, you have like, you have funny honey. And then my mom goes, something's off with this DVD. Something's off. We need to check. And my dad opens up the other DVD player. And wouldn't you know it? Chicago was playing instead of Kill Bill Volume 1. That's amazing. I know, and so, but wait, you were watching the visuals of Kill Bill. Yeah, yeah, with to the audio to Chicago, <laughs> and it did not match up. I'm telling you. So, but wait, so was there any audio from Bill uh, from no. Kill Bill coming through? No, no. <laughs> Why did it take you guys so long to figure out? I I was a young news? boy. I didn't you, know. Yeah, you're like this is art. This is yeah. what art <laughs> means. I recognize Chicago, but I did, I've never seen this Kill Bill before. It's a peculiar choice by the director, but I'm here for it. Yeah, and then they had to restart it again. Wow. That is... <laughs> wow. Yeah, so wow. that's my first experience with Kill Bill Volume 1. But it, exactly, it's been a good experience. You watched it exactly as Quentin intended. Yeah, I think so. I think that's the new uh, Dark Side of the Moon Wizard of Oz cut going oh, on yeah, right there. true. <laughs> <laughs> Just watch Chicago. <laughs> Listen uh, to the audio from Chicago as you stream Kill Bill Volume 1. It lines up terribly. <laughs> it makes <laughs> no sense whatsoever. Wow, that uh, is amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> but I, any initial thoughts to this film? Yeah, I mean, it is... Um, it's a little bit as I remembered it. Um, there were definitely some things that I probably would not have picked up on in my youth. Uh, the first time I watched this, um, or maybe I did and I just forgot them, but I, I don't know. It's it really just comes together super well. Um, the parts that were memorable to me in my memory were, you know, wiggle your big toe, of course, mm. um, of course the the crazy eighty eight fight scene, which is yes. I, I didn't realize that it was literally like half of the movie. Yeah, because, it feels like half of the movie. Yeah, as we were getting to that point, um, like the build up to that scene, I was like, okay, I feel like that's kind of the last thing that happens in this movie, but we're only like an hour in. <laughs> like mm. There has to be more, but no, it was just literally all that. And uh, that is an amazing choice. And I'm so glad that he didn't have to, uh, <laughs> that Quentin didn't have to cut that down at all. Maybe there are a few things that he did cut from it, but yeah. you know, it feels pretty lengthy and pretty complete as is. Yeah. Um and some of the some of the background uh or backstory to uh some of the deadly viper assassination squad members I did think maybe it was a little bit long um mm. a little bit 
like kind of not not really jarring, but you know, it's Quentin Tarantino, so he's cutting from the present or, you know, from the past to an even further past to do the backstory. And then that lasts like 20 minutes and then you're back toward the scene that you were originally in. And it's it just kind of throws you a little bit for a loop. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, the movie mostly handles it really well. It's just that I, I think the movie did get a little bogged down in the backstory um, because we have two major characters that get lengthy uh, exposition to them. Yeah, but you know it's it really is all worth it just for everything that we do get that is action packed and just really interesting. Um, you know, even the dialogue is fantastic. A lot of it is uh, just excellent and really deserves your attention. Mm. Uh, obviously, you're aware of the whole bloody affair, correct? Right? Since oh, yeah. you mentioned it before. Um, like if that ever comes to Alamo, take me along with you because <laughs> I've been waiting for that cut for years. Yeah, uh, they cut down on the IG animation uh, segments. Apparently, it gets even more gruesome. Wow. Um, I I don't know. It's just something that I've been waiting for for a long time because I really stand these movies. Yeah, uh, and I think the I, I think the whole bloody affair has the uh, black and white uh, crazy eighty eight scene in color. Color. Yeah, I'm pretty sure too. But yeah, I mean, oof, I can't believe we haven't gotten it yet. It, it yeah. feels like I don't know. I really. For a moment there in like the early 2010s, I really thought we were going to get it. I think he's just shilling for a part three or a volume three. Excuse me. <laughs> I hope so. I think he is. And I, I hope someday that gets made because I, oh, I'm obsessed with these movies. Like these, <laughs> that, that Chicago viewing really <laughs> fueled me as a child cinematore. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, all right. Well, um, let's get into our notes, shall we? I got plenty to spare. All right. <laughs> all right. So some movie notes. The film pays homage. Take a shot every time you see feet or hear the word homage to oh, yeah. the Shaw Brothers studio, known for its martial arts films, with the inclusion of the Shaw Scope logo in the opening titles and the crashing hmm. zoom, a fast usually ending in a close-up commonly used in Shaw Brothers films. But I like this movie. It feels like you're watching a retro kung fu film, and it's dope, like this opening. Yeah, oh, for sure. It, it hits the ground running. It's like yeah. insane how how excellent the cold open is, and then pretty much just the whole first scene after that. Yeah. Um, so we begin with the, the famous Dr. Seuss quote, revenge is a dish best served cold. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's an old Klingon proverb, which is already, <laughs> you know, that that's the first of two references to Star Trek in this movie. Yeah. Um, bride is bleeding. She's lying there dying here on the floor where you left me. I think I drank too much. <laughs> Classic pink song, by the way. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in black and white her last words to bill um we see that this is bill talking to like this dying bride on the floor because his handkerchief is embroidered with bill mm-hmm. um we get this conversation like, a solid uh, way of introducing that I, I and you you never see david carradine's face in this first movie which is yeah. very interesting i love that yeah really um, really solid filmmaking all around yeah, uh, we get the speech versus uh, sadism and masochism, and the final words the bride says to Bill are, this baby is yours, and then bang, shot in the head. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in a very cool, the soundtrack is popping, opening, we get Nancy Sinatra's version of Bang Bang, go do karaoke song, <laughs> my baby shot me down. I, oh yeah, iconic. Uh, iconic. And... <laughs> 
through the opening credits as the the characters and actors are introduced we get the introduction to the numbered list that is the deadly viper assassination squad i'm sure the first time i watched this i didn't realize what those numbers in the opening credits meant so it was just you know even if this is your first time watching it's one of those things where and quentin tarantino does this a lot especially in the first half of this movie it's just something kind of offbeat that really gets your attention and just has your mind racing as to what the possibilities are. Yeah. So first we have Zero B. Um, I will reveal her name for those people who have not seen part two a little bit later on because it kind of influxes itself into this movie with little japes and jokes. But B is Black Mamba. Number one, Oren Ishii is Cottonmouth. Number two, Vernita Green as Copperhead. Number three, Bud, Sidewinder. Number four, L Driver as California Mountain Snake. And number five, Bill as the Snake Charmer. Mm. Um, so very interesting. And I have to ask you, Matt, what would be your Deadly Viper Assassination Squad code name? Ooh, that is a good <laughs> question. I know. I have mine prepared. I have two prepared, actually. So I guess I'll go first then to give you time to think, right? All right. All right, uh, my first would be Asp. <laughs> what? Asp, A-S-P, the snake that killed Cleopatra because we got that that background there, right? Oh, like, you lost me. I have no clue she got, what that is. She got bitten by an asp. <laughs> it's very <Jack>. Shakespearean. <laughs> you jackasp. I would be like a faded actor, you know, on the stage, and my, my method of choice would be an asp. <laughs> Or I have the 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 good old uh, Bible Belt Midwestern Corn Snake. <laughs> Is that the whole title? The good old yeah, because corn, your Bible Belt Western Corn Snake. <laughs> All right, because you you know if black is next to red, you're probably dead, and I probably butchered that. So don't listen to this <laughs> podcast for uh, snake info. <laughs> as long as it rhymed. Let's mm. see. I guess mine would be. This is kind of this is kind of dumb in comparison <laughs> to yours. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, yours could sound a little bit intimidating, um, like the Asp. other members of this. <laughs> yeah, mostly because I don't know what the fuck that is, and I hate things <laughs> that I don't understand or know. Yeah. Um, but mine would be. I'm trying to come up with a dope name, so mine would be <laughs> Slithering Slick. Oh no, that's not a real snake breed. <laughs> I got the Slithering, slithering Slick. <laughs> I got that. That's the relation. You could it be like King Cobra or they have to know, be some... real? Yeah, they're all real snakes. <laughs> <laughs> slithering Slick. <laughs> I will. I don't know. I guess mine would be. Um, what about what about Monty Python? I hate you, but I love you at the same time. And Monty Python. Uh, that's all I got. All right. So we begin. This film is uh, set into chapters, and chapter one is the number two circled, which is a genius move in itself. I. <laughs> I, I love that the film is shot out of order just for this moment. Yeah, um, no, I, I really, a lot of things come together. They coalesce after this, like, first scene, after this first mm-hmm. chapter. Yeah. And yeah, uh, my, it just, like I said, it has your mind racing from the jump, which I always like. Yeah. Uh, four years after the chapel in uh, Panadina, California, suburb, or Pasadena, sorry, California, suburb, mm-hmm. 
the bride pulls up in the pussy wagon, which you're immediately like, why is she driving a car called pussy wagon? What is going on here? She rings the doorbell uh, when the bride encounters a member of the Deadly Vipers. A flashing red screen with superimposed flashback footage appears oh, in yeah. homage to the 1965 spaghetti western Death Rides a Horse, whose hero witnesses a massacre of his family. So every time we get the... It's a very good impression. <laughs> and, you know, post-corona, I'm going to knock on your door and that's how we're going to greet each other, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh, with our knives drawn out. Yep. Uh, flashback to the chapel and then fist into a knife fight with uh, Uma Thurman versus uh, Vivica A. Fox. Oh, and yeah. I made I made constant, <laughs> she looks like Uma Thurman jokes throughout this movie. So, you know, <laughs> she's got eyes like Uma Thurman. <laughs> uh, but this is uh, Nikki, uh, no, sorry, this is Bernita Green, Pasadena home wife. And they're getting into this knife fight and I put that sound design though during this viewing that oh oh so good i was listening with headphones oh my god how would did not how did this not get like an oscar or at least a golden globe does the golden globes do sound design (laughs) probably i don't i don't know they had that whole thing where shits creek and then euphoria won so i was happy but whatever i don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if the golden globes has sound mix and sound design or sound editing or however <laughs> many fucking shits the oscar has i think they're combining those next year that's yeah. amazing they would wouldn't they because they don't know what they are exactly <laughs> Uh, but Vernita Green is battling the bride and then wouldn't you know it on the school bus after this fabulous fight sequence uh, Vernita's younger daughter Nikki arrives home from school Uh, she walks in it's immediately like what the fuck is going on and I love Vernita is just like that damn dog of yours he got in here and he acted a damn fool (laughs) and Nikki's like Barney did all this Yes, uh, this is mommy's friend, <laughs> blank. Which Her bleep? What did you think of the bleep? Like, oh yeah, I love it. It's yeah. Like again, I mean, it's it's one of those things that possibly in a lesser movie would just come off as um, I don't know, like overdone or overcooked. Just kind of like ugh, just what's the word pretentious perhaps yeah but i don't know here it just works really well um because there's so much already shrouded in mystery that um yeah it's it's a perfect fit i i really like it and it's funny you know it's played for comedic effect too oh multiple times um i will reveal the bride's name it is I mean, tune off now, but listen to us later when we talk about this podcast, I guess, or this movie. Um, The real name is Beatrice Kiddo, and uh, sometimes known as Beatrix Kiddo, um, which gets into something a little bit later. But I I like that they bleep her name out this entire first part. It gives you more reason to tune into part two and see what the fuck is going on. Yeah, I really Um, wonder, like, if if, uh, Tarantino, when he had envisioned it as one movie, like, if all of this stuff was the same yeah i don't know that either maybe like i could see it going both ways like we're gonna break it into two parts maybe just bleep that out until part two yeah hmm uh but it's intriguing he's a genius but (laughs) (laughs) he's a perverted genius at that (laughs) uh so yeah we we do love him we love him and we love his feats (laughs) 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 f-e-a-t-s oh (laughs) Uh, you know what? I actually did not catch that. That was a good one. 
I kind of figured this podcast is made for idiots, so <laughs> why even try hey, to be witty? What do you expect me to think? We just watched a Tarantino <laughs> film. I'm primed to think of uh, the, your lower limbs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so the bride would have had a little girl of about four, and she has this whole uh, conversation with <laughs> Nikki and Vernita. Uh, Vernita Green is now married and put her life as an assassin behind her. Um, we get this whole conversation when she's preparing uh, Nikki's post-school snack of cereal in the kitchen mm-hmm. with mercy, compassion, and forgiveness, but I do not lack rationality. Vernita seems to be slightly sympathetic to the bride or Beatrice because um, she just regrets that. Like, she tried to leave that part of the life behind her. At least that's what she says. So it's a little bit of a somber note yeah. where, with what follows, but... Um, Beatrice will not be denied her revenge, and it would require to kill her whole family if she was going to take the full factor of this revenge. Um, I do like this conversation when it's like, when do you want to die, bitch, tonight, tomorrow? Uh, At the baseball diamond, we'll show up at All Black and have a knife fight. Um, I'm going to fix Nikki's Kaboom cereal, which is great. Um, (laughs) And I should have been Black Mamba. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Some foreshadowing there with the cereal name. Oh, it's great prop work because in Tarantino's uh, fantastical universe, you could have a cereal that's known as Kaboom and then hide a gun in that Kaboom cereal Mm -hmm. at the same time. Uh, And, you know, uh, Vernita tries to kill the bride and the bride dodges this gun that's hidden in the cereal box and then throws a knife through her chest. (laughs) And in the background, we get young Nikki just looking on. and Nikki enters the scene. Oh, this whole speech of, you know, if you ever feel raw about this in your adulthood, you know where to find me. And oh, yeah. why won't you make Kill Bill 3? Because it's been rumored, it's been teased by uh, Vivica A. Fox and more how <laughs> she would get either. I mean, this young girl playing Nikki is apparently a model slash actress now, but mm-hmm. I think Zendaya would oh, yeah. fucking kill this in a heartbeat. And she's the right age. It's perfect. Yeah. Oh, my God. If like that. That would give me renewed hope in life again, I feel. <laughs> um, so she kills that, says, if you ever feel sorry about this, please come find me and then we'll fight about this later on. Uh, she gets some, um, Beatrice or the bride gets uh, some Pai Mei master tips on death, which is suppress all emotions and kill whoever is in your way. And that's how I go about my normal day of life. <laughs> um, just waiting <laughs> for the moment to kill again. <laughs> And yeah, Beatrice, which, I'm, I'm a little concerned, yeah. John, because uh, this is now yeah. the second movie you've shared, possibly in a row, of uh, protagonists just going through lists, murdering people. Oh yeah, that's right. Th- this does feel very Scott Pilgrim esque, <laughs> though. I was going to mention that a little bit later, though. Like, like clearly. Oh yeah. Um, uh, someone took inspiration from Kill Bill to create Scott Pilgrim in a way. Possibly, I'm not sure when that uh, when that series started. I think O'Malley series started after this, right? This was 2003. Yeah, Yeah. I think so. It was probably like 2004 or 5 that he started. Around the same time. But, uh, okay, so she crosses out number two on her list for Nita Green and shows that number one has already been crossed out as Oren Ichii. Um, Excuse me. An early draft included a chapter set after the confrontation with Vernita in which the bride has a gunfight with Gogo Yabari's vengeful twin sister Yuki 
further showing the place in the timeline, which would have been interesting just to see like a car chase slash, uh, you know, death match <laughs> by car. But... Yeah, it could have been interesting. I would have been very confused. I think seeing, I, I... you know, mm. like actually no, that might have been kind of cool. Like if you yeah. didn't know that she was a twin until later on, yeah, yeah, it could have worked. I think it would have been cool because it would have been more what the fuck is going on in this opening. Like she shows up at a pussy whack and she kills someone in front of their child. And then a twin Japanese schoolgirl shows up and tries to murder. Yeah. Like I'm a little worried. It might've been too much, especially because yeah. uh, we, we already have so much action in the second half, but uh, yeah, now, now I'm kind of interested in what could have been. The scene was cut because in Tarantino's own words, he was dealing with a three and a half hour movie and he was going to kill himself shooting it and was set to cost $1 million. Another draft, featured, another draft featured a scene in which the bride's pussy wagon is blown up by L Driver or, you know, um, <laughs> my favorite character, <laughs> Daryl Hannah. <laughs> and then we get to chapter two, The Blood Splattered Bride. Four years and six months earlier, Pasadena, Texas. The blood-splattered bride murder scene, we meet Sheriff Earl McGraw examines the scene where the bride and all attending were violently massacred, nine dead. Earl McGraw, a Texas ranger who investigates the Wedding Chapel massacre. Um, the guy who plays Earl Parks originated McGraw in Robert Rodriguez's film From Dust Till Dawn, in which Tarantino starred. So oh, this okay. is the same character um, throughout the, the timeline. Very oh, wow. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, he goes on to reprise this role in both segments of the Rodriguez slash Tarantino collaboration Grindhouse. Hmm. So he's a he's a through line for this timeline, which I, I love when directors uh, give us little, you know, cookie crumbs along the way where they're designing something grand. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, uh, Parks also appeared in volume two as a separate character, the most Matthew Cabrera character of cinema, if I have to say, Esteban <laughs> Viejo. Um, I will say that Dan and Grant and I compare you to him many times. I don't remember <laughs> who this is. He runs a brothel in like the Mexican desert. It's Matt. You need to rewatch volume two just to see you on cinema. <laughs> that sounds a lot like um, the guy from From Dusk Till Dawn that runs the brothel. And he's basically telling you about all the different kinds of pussy. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but right, I, I will say... That's an inside joke amongst us about you. Interesting. <laughs> I'm coming clean on this podcast. <laughs> How long has this been time. going on? Oh, since high school. But Jesus. <laughs> you'll never know. <laughs> My God. <laughs> uh, but uh, Parks admits that this is a clean, smart execution. The bride was pregnant, spits up blood. Um, when, when he goes to her and is like, oh, she's pretty. Like, oh, I love this girl. She spits up blood and reveals that she is still alive, but in a coma. Um, Beatrice is then in the hospital. We get Bernard Herrmann's theme from the film Twisted Nerve is whistled by the menacing L driver in the hospital scene. Um, mm -hmm. This is, when I was watching this scene for the first time, this scene got me into the film. I was like, okay, I'm here. We, we're in this wow. cartoony, um, anime-esque, villainy level where you could... Come in in like a five thousand dollar coat with a spare nurse outfit, change oh, yeah. into a separate like but cool matching eye patch, and commit murder. Um, <laughs> it, I don't know. This scene just really fulfilled me as a youth and person to today. Like yeah. if I were ever to make a film, it would be in this style. 
<laughs> it's great. I, th- I think the music suits it perfectly. It's very dreamlike. Yeah. yeah. Um, Daryl Hannah, who you may know from Splash or may not know from Splash, unless you're me, <laughs> um, as L Driver is iconic. Uh, this is a tropely old trench coat, which costs more than I can ever afford, even with my $10,000 of bonds. Uh, nurse with an eye patch. I, I just said this scene awoke a fire within me. Um, and they've got a De Palma split here, which even as a kid, I was like, I've seen this in De Palma's carry before or dressed to kill. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's, it's too iconic for me. It, it, it's too much. It's too much to handle. Um, <laughs> L has been sent to murder Beatrice in her sleep and is stopped the last second with Bill calling to abort the mission. I, I do enjoy this conversation where it's like, you need to stop this. And she's like, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't. Yeah understand like the first time <laughs> there's you a lot of really screaming yeah. is from the other end of the phone it works really well yeah there's and, a lot of uh, tension what, between I'm, these two i'm kind of curious like why was she sent on the mission in the first place <laughs> it's not like anything uh, i, I think she was in a coma i oh i think she and there's a lot of backstory that you can insinuate from these films um, like I said, we'll get to that a little bit later, but I feel like Elle and Beatrice had, like, the they were at the most ends in this assassination squad. Like, clearly they yeah. were both into Bill at the time. Um, Beatrice won Bill's heart, and then Elle's, like, the, the rebound girl in this scenario. So, you know, she wanted to off, or, you know, axe the biggest competition in their group. Right, fair enough. Yeah. Um, that's what I feel, at least. I mean, I, I've never made a movie before in my life. Uh, but assuming Beatrice can still hear everything in this coma, L offers a word of advice. Shithead, don't you ever wake up. Four years later, a mosquito from Breaking Bad bites Beatrice, and she is jolted awake, recalling everything immediately. Um, <laughs> she weeps over the unborn child, and a pair is coming down the hall, whistling as Beatrice plays Coma. Buck likes to bring men into the hospital to fuck comatose patients for a little extra money on the side. Mm. Um, and these two are disgusting. We were watching it with friend of the podcast, one Heather Chalella. <laughs> Come up a bit later. And these two are not meant to garner the audience attention, but I do remember the scene that was airing on AMC when they constantly show these two movies back to back with I am Buck and I am here to party. <laughs> They should have at least changed his name to Marty. Yeah, they should have. I'm Marty, and I'm here to party. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is um, uh, it makes you really uncomfortable. The first of several scenes in this movie to make you extremely uncomfortable. Yeah, and her cooch may be drier than the Sahara, so you may need a little bit of this. <laughs> and like tosses the... uh, uh, a 10-year-old Vaseline container. Yeah, it's like, God, just get a new one. They're like five bucks. <laughs> it's you lasted for hospital. four years. <laughs> <laughs> it, oh. Oh. But I oh. love it. It's just like a little bit more prop design that just really lends. Uh, it really elevates the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, so while this other guy is trying to mount Beatrice... He, she bites this guy's tongue off slash lip off and presumably kills him. Um, we've got entropy setting in. She can't get out of bed without not moving her legs. 
Beatrice takes a stolen pocket knife and then sever Buck's tendons who walks in, even though it's clearly not been like 20 to 30 minutes yet. That's another flaw in this film that I point out often. (laughs) He's just strolling down the hallway, but uh, I do like how she immediately takes revenge by slamming Bill's head in the hospital doorway, screaming, where's Bill? Oh, not Bill's head. Buck's head. Oh, oh, Buck's head. Buck's head. Where's Bill? Oh, please stop hurting me. Where's the trigger? (laughs) Where's Rachel? (laughs) Uh, But she then remembers what Buck has done. I'm Buck and I'm here to party. Then subsequently the bride kills Buck to steal the keys to one pussy wagon. Mm -hmm. uh, Steals Buck's clothes in a wheelchair which she can immediately say, I'm a nurse in a wheelchair. Let me pass. <laughs> and which car is it? It's got California plates or Texas plates. Sorry. And iconic. And she stops. She looks and the car is clearly labeled pussy wagging matching the keys. Oh yeah. On like at least two, maybe three different sides. I love this. Yeah. It, 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 it's too much. Like this movie is style supreme. <laughs> Stupid style supreme. For sure. Uh, Beatrice plops into the back seat and tries to wiggle her big toe in a Tarantino foot fetish scene. Yeah, we finally and got to uh, got to realize what those handles in the car are for. It's for to this pull yourself scenario. in <laughs> if you have entropy. Yeah. Uh, Beatrice recalls all the assassins who did this to her, primarily Oren Ishii, as she is the easiest to find because she is the Yakuza Tokyo Queen, currently reigning. Mm-hmm. Um, and chapter three, the origin of Oren Ishii, tells the story of the half Chinese, Japanese, half American, um, her backstory. And it's traumatic and you feel for her. And I wish that Oren Ishii had a little bit more of a spiritual connection with our bride. I'm going to say it here first. It'll come up later. Hmm. But I feel like the backstory insinuated between these two is that they're best buddies. <laughs> Interesting. They've got to be because they both know a lot about each other. They have these little in-jokes that um, I'll highlight later on in this plot synopsis. But Lucy Liu is a great part of this movie. Uh, Uma Thurman's a great part of this Uma, Thur- uh, Uma Thurman film. It's got it's got a film like a Uma Thurman. <laughs> uh, they're both great. And I feel like these two were besties before they resorted to killing one another. I'll go to my grave saying this. <laughs> Hey, I'm I'm into it. I like it. Uh, uh, so we get Oren Ishii's backstory completely animated, uh, where she defeats Boss Matsumoto, the cruelest Yakuza boss. Uh, the animated sequences homages violent anime films such as Golgo 13, The Professional, and Wicked City. Indian director Anurag Kashyap has claimed that Tarantino privately told them that he was inspired by an Indian serial killer movie which Kashyap surmised to be Indian film uh, Alavadanhan, another live-action film which features an animated murder sequence. Just so you know. That's Um, very interesting. As Matt has pointed out, and as we've heard through the grapevine in The Bloody Affair, this sequence is even bloodier. (laughs) And that's a story for another affair I put down. How witty I am when I write these notes, I'm telling you. Like five months ago when I'm prepping my movies. Um, I remember my parents being disgusted during this and me probably around 11 years old at the time. I was totally into it. Like I stole the DVD and watched it again that night without uh, Chicago. <laughs> oh, then did you really watch it? I, I, 
<laughs> I but, hope uh, so. I mean, yeah, this scene is pretty. I think disgusted is uh, a, a decent term. It's uh, another one that's just ultra violent and designed to make you feel really uncomfortable. Yeah, well, to plug my other podcast, Anime Was Not a Mistake, this is kind of tame versus some Oof. stuff that I saw in the anime community. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's kind of true. Uh, Nobody's getting but... chopped in, in two. <laughs> no organs are falling out. <laughs> They're not tripping, tumbling. <laughs> Got organs like Uma Thurman! <laughs> <laughs> I hate that song, but I constantly mention it. Um, so Oren Ishii is, uh, then at 11 years old, she's climbing up to the racking, rankings. She, uh, not fracking, the rankings, uh, <laughs> she climbs up and kills ba- boss Masamoto. And then two years later, or no, sorry, when she's 20 years old, she becomes one of the top assassins in the world. And I'm 27 and I can't even, you know, function in life. So I only imagine having the confidence and skill. Oh yeah. <laughs> To be the top assassin in the world. <laughs> uh, she's so, shown sniping a supposedly Brazilian politician. Oh no, sorry, a Mexican politician. And huh. she made the one mistake. Uh, we get Beatrice is like narrating this whole thing. And uh, on that day in the chapel, she meant to kill 10, but she only killed nine. <laughs> yeah. And back to Wiggle Your Big Toe, the entropy's over. 13 hours later, Beatrice starts on her vendetta, Okinawa One Way, name seen on Passport if you pause during this scene. Oh, it's interesting. So, Didn't know that. Yeah. Um, chapter four, the band from Okinawa. Uh, Beatrice walks into a bar where Sonny Chiba, uh, Yakuza slash action films actor is there. Very famous in the Japanese slash Japanese American community. He's been in a lot of things. Uh, he's playing one Hitori Hanzo who is laying low. There is a very cute conversation between the pair where uh, the bride is kind of developing her Japanese and mm-hmm. they're discussing different things while he's yelling at the guy in the back to get her a drink at the same time. <laughs> it, it's just charming the way that the, these both are, are playing. And I, I love Sonny Chiba in this movie. Yeah, I think it's a, a great dynamic. And you could kind of... I think this was an intentional choice. You could kind of see uh, the bride smirking or like laughing to herself, kind of signifying that maybe she's understanding what's uh, what the conversation that's going on between these uh, two Japanese folks. Well, clearly she went there to obtain a Hotori Hanzo sword, right? And I think that maybe in my, my mind of minds after seeing this movie 200 plus times, (laughs) um, like, could she have gone there and been refused a sword and then just killed Sonny Chiba and gotten it over with? <laughs> you think? Mm, I I think she needed that sword, though. Yeah, but, like, if Hattori Hanzo... And this would have been, like, a flaw in her character, of course, if the master denies you. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I feel like she went there to kind of gauge the situation to see if she could even get a sword or like this guy in the first place. Because... Right. He is Bill's teacher, his, uh, you know, his master. Yeah. And if it would have went sour, she, I think she would have just killed these two and took the sword and it would have went on a different path. Just different things to suggest, you know? That's possible. Um, But clearly she does know something about, um, about Hanzo. And Hanzo kind of has a grudge against Bill as well. Uh, Ah, yes, she does. We don't exactly know why. Yeah. 
Um, so that's the next scene. Um, she reveals that she could speak perfect Japanese and that she came to get rid of some huge rodents in her life. Um, and they go upstairs where Hitori Hanzo has crafted swords, but taken a vow with God that he would never craft anything that kills another man again. Yeah. Um, you like samurai swords. I like a baseball throws a baseball at her for the test, which comes back later. And then he asks her to reveal like what student has, you know, spurned you to do this. And he spells out like before she says, like, it's someone, you know, it's one of your students. And, he spells out Bill on this window pane hmm. in the background. Um, another uh, issue with this film, it's minor gripe, uh, is this window has clearly been drawn on in previous scenes. and Super minor gripe. <laughs> it, But I've watched it so many times. I'm like, just refrost the window or get it in the first take. I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm I surprised it took apparently so many takes for this shot. I don't know. Or maybe the window would just look like that. I it could be. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> one month later, which is probably a long time to, to make a sword in Matthew Cabrera's wheelhouse. Hey, he so can make a sword for you. <laughs> you just melt the thing, you mold it, and you get to go. I want to challenge you. You've got 72 hours to make a sword, man. Well... <laughs> no, but, okay, I think Amazon delivers in 48 hours, so that's doable. <laughs> You can get it. Mm, interesting. Yep. Uh, but she gets her sword, created something that kills people sympathetic on Hitori Hanzo's side. My finest sword, if you meet God, God will be cut by the sword. <laughs> I was kind of mm. thinking that maybe um, Hanzo would sacrifice himself at this point. Maybe mm. that's a little over the top, but, you know, yeah. it's because he's kind of, he turned his back on the the life that he began to lead and he said or he did the one thing that he said he would never do so i thought maybe it was a, a thing of honor that he might yeah. end up i don't know doing something i could see that but it also feels like i'm coming back in the game one more time it's an oceans 13 scenario <laughs> yeah, one last heist oceans 57 one more time i'm gonna just heist one more <laughs> last one i promise <laughs> Uh, our final chapter of the film. We're already there. Look at that. We've got chapter five, Showdown at the House of Blue Leaves. And mm -hmm. this next to the animated scene is the most iconic. Uh, Take a shot when. <laughs> it, it's like the whole movie is in this one last scene. <laughs> yeah, and... Pretty much. It's oh, all building it, up to this. It's perfect, though. It's perfection. It's because, uh, like, when you hear, you know, they're like introducing the characters like the conflict that is to come and you hear well you know what i'll, I'll save this for a little bit when, oh. we, when we get deeper into right. the trenches well you know play your jonathan interrupt card and, <laughs> <laughs> and then say i speak now and go straight to jail do not collect 200 no <laughs> um showdown at the house of blue leaves bill um Oh my gosh, a blocked Oren. Oh, oh, backed Oren and her gang of Crazy 88 as the head of the Yakuza. Um, sorry, I took these notes five months ago. It's <laughs> all good. Uh, we meet uh, Oren's best friend, Sophie Fatale, and personal bodyguard, Gogo, Japanese schoolgirl with a temper, and bald guy who is her left hand, Johnny Mo, head general um, of her Crazy 88 army. I do like the little scenes that they go in to introduce each one of them. Yeah. Uh, first, we have Gogo at a bar going to like some Japanese 
man, uh, do you want to penetrate me because I'm a Japanese schoolgirl? Oh my god! Older, I... Like a little bit older. He's not like I don't think he's a grandfather, but he's yeah, he's old and rough looking. Yeah, Gogo was another icon in this series. Like gone too soon. She yeah. showed up. I think she probably inspired. I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Um, appearances like this or characters like this have probably been around for a while, but I don't know. I still think she inspired some aesthetics that were to come like some schoolgirls type stuff. Oh, d- well, it's a trope in like anime yeah. and everything else that the, the school girl has like a secret power. Like we're currently watching kill a kill on anime was not a mistake. My podcast partner <laughs> affiliate part of the nightcaps network, <laughs> which is all about schoolgirls kicking ass. So just saying <laughs> it's not the one where they wear no clothes well the part of the thing is if you wear no clothes then you are a pig but clothes have ev- clothes are the reason why human beings evolved in the first place matt <laughs> right and the clothes it's... are trying to kill them now well no you wear the clothes to don their power and then you kill the kill <laughs> oh. oh okay duh <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I, I think you would actually love the series. It's kooky enough and crazy enough. Yeah, I'd heard good things. My friends tried to mention it to, or describe it to me before, and I was lost. I'll get you to watch anime. I swear <laughs> it. I'll do it. Well, you can do it with this one. <laughs> and I do it again. <laughs> Damn. All right. So we get Gogo and Johnny Mo, who's played by Gordon Louis or Lou who is the fight captain for, I think, both of these movies, and Pai Mei in part two. So, very interesting. Um, Oren is challenged at one of her Yakuza meetings for not being Japanese by Boss Tanaka, uh, who considers this a perversion. Lucy Liu, also iconic. Oh, Uh, Her acting is sublime. I have always been a stan of Lucy Liu. Like, she needs to be in fucking everything. (laughs) I love her. I've always loved her since Charlie. She Charlie's Angel. She was my favorite angel. Oh my god! Like I think, she, I think she really thrives in like this kind of environment where a director is being a little offbeat, camp. just like allowing, <laughs> yeah, but just like allowing their actors to give the scene what it needs to be slow burn, to be, um, yeah, a little bit campy. It just it works so well. Uh, so uh, she chops off Tanaka's head and calmly gives a little speech. If you have anything to say, now's the fucking time. Mm-hmm. Um, no subject is taboo except for my heritage as a negative. And I, it's just like, she's a badass. Like, how are you going to beat her? Like, you're setting up the final boss already. Yeah, she's a very graceful badass. <laughs> yeah. That shot um, of her, like, running across the table, too, oh. before she chops his head off. Mm. And this guy who smashes, like, his udon bowl, and was that a real take? Like, yeah, I, I was kind of wondering that, because there was no that, cut. Yeah, that, I mean, it could be sugared glass or something like that, but it, it's a good take. And this other guy who throws a towel at <laughs> boss uh, Tanaka, he lands right on his hand, like. Well, I think that was two takes, but I'm not. Yeah? Yeah, because yeah, I think there was a cut, so I would have All to. Right. I'd have to look between frames and see if it was actually hitting the right trajectory. It wasn't the Scott Pilgrim throw something into the trash behind me 37 takes later. (laughs) No, we would have to JFK it. Uh, But it's good. It's cut good. It feels good. It's snappy. Oh, yeah. I I think it was one take, and I'm talking about um, 
the Yakuza boss smashing his bowl. Mm-hmm. And because he was rubbing his hand with a towel yep. as if it were bleeding, but you don't actually see any blood there. It could have hurt, though. I mean, it could have been one take, too. Yeah, it probably hurt. But uh, I don't think it was anything that would have caused lots of harm. Mm. Unless they had to do it multiple times. That would suck. But but it's great. Um, and um, Oren Ishii proclaims her dominance over the Yakuza. Um, the next scene we get is one ticket to Tokyo. Stylistic travel set to the theme from the Green Hornet. Uh, which is playing on this prop plane that's clearly like an ode to old Japanese slash Godzilla films where the planes were not real. I don't know. Maybe. They they didn't have too high of a budget. But it's good. It fits into like your... If you're going to go to Japan, you got to ride on a prop plane, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) You could almost see the wire hanging. Yep. Um, the bride's yellow tracksuit, helmet, and motorcycle resemble the ones used by Bruce Lee in the 1972 kung fu film Game of Death. Oh, yeah, um, that's true. One of his most iconic looks. Iconic. Take a that. shot. <laughs> <laughs> and Red Apple Cigarettes. Uh, is this in the Tarantino timeline? Is this after Hitler's death? <laughs> I would hope so. I would hope so, too. I, I, I don't it's think big. They, I don't think they had pussy wagons before Hitler. Yeah, that's true. The death of Hitler issued in the age of pussy wagons. <laughs> pussy Volkswagen, wagons. yeah, yeah. Volks, Volkswagen turned into pussy wagon. There you go. <laughs> oh, we it writes itself. Um, uh, so they're in this bar, the House of Blue Leaves, set where the climatic battle part one takes place. Um, and before they arrive there, though, the bride overhears Sophie's obnoxious conversation in the car while she's driving the limo carrying Oren Ishii. And Sophie has this annoying character trait where whenever she answers the phone, um, Auld Lang Syne plays and she says, Moshi Moshi. <laughs> and this triggers the bride's revenge. <laughs> because oh, yeah. The bloodlust. Slightly off screen, Matt. While you were being ass kicked, I was taking a call <laughs> to Auld Lang Syne. <laughs> oh, it, it's perfection. Like, what can I say about this? Clearly. Like, they even wrote her into that scene. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> uh, the House of Blue Leaves set where the climatic battle part one takes place is based on Gopachi Nishi Azabu a Tokyo restaurant that Tarantino had visited prior to the film's development. Uh, The owner, Charlie Brown, and his wife. Charlie Brown is wearing a Charlie Brown-style Yakuta. Um, And as the bride enters the House of Blue Leaves, the Gogo group, the 5678s, perform I Walk Like Jane Mansfield, Um, I'm Blue, the Gong Gong song, and Woohoo. The the first song I think they play is just them going, Hey ya! Well, that's the end of I Walk Like Jane Mansfield. Okay. Yeah. I just like how those um, are the only lyrics we hear. And then they sing the gong gong. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then it's the iconic woohoo, which Matt recognized mid-viewing. Yes, um, finally it, it all clicked. Uh, after the bride tries to sneak up to Oren's kind of uh, private room, uh, Oren detects this and sends Gogo after her. Uh, only to find the bride hiding on the ceiling at that point. Well, she doesn't find, but we see the bride hiding on the ceiling Mm -hmm. and she goes to the restroom to kind of reconvene. (laughs) Hereditary Um, style. Oh my God. And we get this amazing continuous shot. Like, oh yeah. uh, 
Oh. <laughs> Everything that's happening while uh, the bride is changing. They're going overhead. They're going underhead. They're going up in front of people's faces. And I love it. Uh, the bride is changing in the bathroom and Sophie falls into her lap. Uh, we hear the Auld Lang Syne ringtone as Charlie Brown is upstairs uh, talking to already she and crew. Uh, I do like to say that um, since I'm planning a trip from, to Japan when this is all over, maybe with my bond money, <laughs> gotta love that bond money. Um, that in Japan, pizza is a big deal. Like it's very expensive. It's very hard to get a good pizza That's in Japan. Insane. So um, it's like a delicacy over there. Whereas for us, it's kind of ba- trash. We got yeah. Domino's. Basically, you have to spend like 40 bucks if you want a little Domino's pie. Jesus. Well, I you know, so, you know. And make a buck. Would that fit in my carry-on? Would that make it through customs? Would I plant a pizza plant? <laughs> I hope so. Get a, a get pizza a, tree? A miniature. Yeah. Get a pizza tree grows in Japan? <laughs> uh, they got frozen there. It's the, the fresh that's different uh, there. Okay. Well, they that's have why like you get the ten... You yeah. trick them. They got vending machines that give you pizza out there, baby. <laughs> Ooh, that's what we need. Damn. I I know we need to get to Matt. I'm telling you, you need to get to Japan. <laughs> <laughs> I subscribe to all these YouTube players out there. All right, so all right, uh, one way tickets to Okinawa. It is. Yep, <laughs> Okinawa one way. Um. We then hear uh, the bride going, already she shall sign <laughs> like, And another bop plays. I like this little thing where they open the screen door, but they open it the wrong way. Uh, because yeah. you're supposed to exit and enter the screen door one way. And Lucy Lou waits until the right door is open <laughs> and then walks through the right one. It's the nuances, man. It's perfect in this <laughs> film. And this bop is playing... Oh, it's it's super cool, and <laughs> that's all I can say about this film. Super cool. Uh, uh, this bop is playing, and then the bride confronts Oren while holding Sophie, and she chops off one of Sophie's arms. The blood splatters, which we were watching with biologist Heather Chalala, and she said blood would not splatter like that unless you hit an artery because it goes like a fountain for 30 minutes. And Sophie somehow lives throughout this whole ordeal. And Oren sends a few of her guards after the bride. The bride easily dispatches them. Um, mm-hmm. But before Oren dispatches them, she goes, Charlie Brown, beat it. <laughs> Get out of here. Which is another Charlie Brown reference. Like, yeah, what's going on in this joke. film? And I, 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 I don't know. Maybe I was thinking of it subconsciously. But I picked up on his Charlie Brown outfit before it was pointed out in the script. I think as Americans we're supposed to, right? Yeah, probably. I I I don't know, uh, <laughs> but easily dispatches them, and then uh, the bride asks, "Is there anyone else?" And we get Gogo going, "Hi." <laughs> <laughs> uh, she uses a chain mace in the shape of a baseball, and we get that baseball parallel where she was uh, hitting back Hitori Hanzo's baseball. Mm-hmm. Like, like little, little fucking nuances. And a third of movie is honestly a fight scene that is so badass is my next note. Um, <laughs> Gogo tries to strangle Beatrice with her mace slash ball and chain that's shaped in a baseball. 
and Gogo is eventually defeated by Nail Wood to the head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, as um, I think this happens every time I watch a movie, but as the bride is getting strangled, I'm like, damn, how she's going to get out of this one? But she oh. finds a way. She finds an, an Ikea leg with a rusty, <laughs> uh, what's that word? Uh, tetanus nails oh, yeah. out of it. That's an awful way to die. Poor Gogo. Yeah. And what she, happens to Gogo? <laughs> she gets those uh, those bloody tears, that um, those uh, swollen eyes, bloodshot eyes. Yeah. That's what I mean. I'm thinking of big eyes, those swollen eyes. Oren <laughs> <laughs> uh, is unfeeling. You didn't think it would that be that easy, did you? When motorcycles pull up. Yeah, and this I love because oh, this is what oh, I was going to get oh, <laughs> oh, do I love this? It's like, speak, Matt. You've already gone through what maybe half an hour of just pure action, and there is just you've already gone through so much. You're like, okay, now we're nearing the end, and the movie delivers on its promise of like her having a literal army of eighty-eight assassins, eighty-eight like oh. ninjas that she has to get through. And it's not literally 88 which i'll get to later okay. but um but i was gonna say oh no no keep down, going keep going keep going she cuts down each one of them like everyone is given their due it's um it's crazy how tarantino was able to make this scene full length because it literally is just an onslaught of samurai swords and and oh. other uh, weapons <laughs> quote unquote. yeah but um it's crazy I was going to say that this movie on like my 303rd rewatch, uh, non-Chicago style, <laughs> was a bit slower than normal. And I was worried that I was like, oh, Matt's going to feel the length. Heather's going to feel the length. What am I going to do about this? But I'm, I'm glad you felt that way. Oh, yeah. No, of course. Uh, because I think it's more like we get cerebral, cerebral, cerebral action, cerebral, cerebral, cerebral action uh, sequences. But I, I'm happy you took it away um, with it was action-packed at least the ending makes up for it that way um what i was going to say is that my favorite line in the film is this silly rabbit trickster for kids banter that they have between them Uh, so clearly they've had the backstory because she knows her name is beatrix kiddo right mm -hmm. and that's that's the thing because she's making fun of rabbit she's making fun of kids like these two are besties matt i'll go to the grave (laughs) i'll go i'll go to the boards these two have had such a close relationship and it's, I, I think Beatrice is suggesting to the audience that she is going to kill her best friend first just to get her out of the way so she can go through this unfeeling and co- go through the rest of the list, right? Alright, you know what? Your, your theory had a little bit of weight to it earlier, but now, <laughs> yeah, I think you're on to something. I, I've just always felt that, like, like, it, she's getting her best friend she's killing her first so she can go through this list of assassins which out without feeling you know yeah and uh this i i think she's the one out of the five besides bill that probably gets the most yeah screen time the most dedicated yeah uh part of the story too yeah well i feel like l driver is her you know antithes or uh, oh i can't say that word when i'm slightly inebriated i'm sorry you you know what i'm saying (laughs) film twitter Uh, thank you (laughs) uh but i have so much to say about these movies you know what we'll probably watch volume two at some point just so i can just so i can harp on it for a bit because oh 
I love these films. All right, so House of Louis sequence, uh, The Bride battles dozens of Yakuza soldiers. It took eight weeks to film, six weeks over yeah. schedule. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Tarantino, Tarantino wanted to create one of the greatest, most exciting sequences in the history of cinema. I feel like he did um, and got snubbed for it, unfortunately. Yeah, that's insane. I think, uh, yeah, this is very much up there. It is really just fantastical. There is so much to offer. It never gets boring. There is just so much meat on this uh, store, on this sections, on this scene's bones. That um, yeah, it just it really it never lets up. Mm. And uh, uh, I think a lot of people have. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say a lot of people have come around on it, but I think a lot of people realize or recognize this scene as you know it's literally like half the movie but yeah the reason this movie gets so much hype and praise i think is pretty much because of this extended scene i I think it's probably the best like isolated or single scene that uh tarantino's ever shot yeah um the crew eschewed computer generated imagery in favor of traditional practical effects used in 1970s chinese cinema nice. particularly by director chang che uh, including the use of fire extinguishers and condoms to create spurts and explosions of blood <laughs> i don't even know how that works have you ever put blood in a condom before matt <laughs> well i can't say i haven't well then you haven't lived <laughs> No, I mean, I have. Ah, so Tarantino told this crew, let's pretend we're little kids and we're making a Super 8 movie in our backyard and you don't have all this shit going on. How would you achieve this effect? Ingenuity is important here. Um, Instrumental tracks from Japanese guitarist Tomoyasu Hotai uh, figure prominently in um, uh, the events of the scene. And after the success of Kill Bill, they were frequently used in American TV commercials and at sporting events. So Hmm. that's clearly how you know these songs. Exactly. Wow. I didn't know it was because of this movie. That is also really insane. Uh, Um, You you see the, uh, you hear the battle of something and something. That's used a lot in sports. I think it's honor and dread. Mm, Yeah, that sounds familiar. And... Yeah, that's used a lot in sports. And the other one, the Woohoo song that, that was reused in Vonage commercials, I remember. And an iTunes commercial. Yeah, I think the the five, six, seven, eights were used in many old iPod commercials or Apple commercials. And well, speaking of iPod commercials, we get a bit of that later on in the yeah. scene. Yeah. Um, so I always tried to count the deaths um, in the crazy 88 scene, and there are clearly not 88 there. It feels like 88, but I, I've gotten to like 50-something. Um, so there... Hey, so that is super respectable. I, I think it's I... a stylistic choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Crazy 55 just yeah. doesn't have the same ring to it. It doesn't. It doesn't. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it really just is insane. Like, the scene is elevated so much. You think it's come to an end, and you really find out that you're just halfway through. Like, it is... Um, hard to overstate or hard to uh, get across how like meaningful or how much of an impact that has on the scene it's just like holy shit there's so much more it's like when um oh i'm trying to think of a good analogy i feel like i almost have one yep i got it house of a thousand corpses 
Lava no, no, I don't know. No, it's like when you're playing Pokemon Gold and Silver as a youth, and then uh, you beat the Johto region, and you find out you gotta go through the uh, whole fucking Kanto again. Mm, exactly I've been there. Like. Oh, I'm still looking for a Pokemon game to inspire that feeling of wonder in me again. We, we, uh, we all are on the fan base communities, game. but. I know. Uh, Game Freak anyway, realized it's that it's too good of an idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why make uh, gamers happy when you could make twice the money? <laughs> and make but, them uh, sad. <laughs> yeah. But we'll keep coming back to them. But uh, uh, yeah, I did suggest. Basically oh, yeah. that effect. Uh, we need a Dead Meat style kill count going on here just to crunch my numbers <laughs> a little bit more. Uh, Dead Meat being a famous YouTube channel. Yeah, I love that. I love that horror movie coming up. It better be spooky. <laughs> uh, uh, the film turns black and white halfway through uh, during this fight scene because, as Matt pointed out, give us the reasons, Matt. I talk too much. <laughs> well, um, clearly we have a problem in America where you could have gratuitous amounts of violence. You could show... <laughs> buckets and fountains of blood you could show la la land to the general public (laughs) for about one and a half hours but then if you have too much it's going to be an nc-17 movie so in order to keep it rated r uh you gotta you gotta limit the amount of blood you could splurt it's like um it's like what nintendo (laughs) did with the mortal Kombat series where i think they made the blood green or maybe they made it no blood or something like that but uh yeah, it's it's basically that for Tarantino, but honestly, it's a good stylistic choice because it just kind of breaks up um, the the feeling of it, it. It doesn't allow any feeling of monotony to set in when you're watching the movie. Like there's there's so much going on, there's so much to offer, and uh, it really just is kind of a an amusement park for your eyes. Oh, I love that. Um... One thing I don't love is, you know, I thought I had a bad life, but then I watched this movie and said, at least I'm not the guy with the little axes. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I had to qualify my weapons mention earlier, because of this fucking douche. He's the only one with little hand axes in the scene, (laughs) and full of of katanas. What what is his story? I want to know. It's just such a waste. You know he's so proud of these little axes, too, because they're (laughs) katanas there's a bunch of swords laying on the floor that he could easily pick up but he's like no now's my time to shine (laughs) it's time for the little axe to get the axe (laughs) it's like he's a fucking hammer bro over here i don't know why video game mentions but i can't stop now oh i love it my influence is rubbing off on you digitally (laughs) (laughs) all right oren leaves mid-fight by implanting her tiny dagger, which is a very Japanese slash video game trope. <laughs> um, and Beatrice fights more intensely in order to catch up. Uh, then they're in the dark fighting when Charlie Brown's wife turns off the light. And we get this backlit scene, which is very cool. Very iPod commercial-esque. You could almost hear like a feist plane in the background. <laughs> Stop me up, drop me down, baby, watch me go. One, two, three, four, tell me that you love me more. Oh, God. I miss those iPod commercials. (laughs) (laughs) 
And finally, after a fight with Johnny Moe on the banister, and there's bops playing continuously throughout this oh, yeah. entire scene, and like, they, bop they, after bop. They segue into each other really nicely, too, I gotta mention. And that's, like, something I wouldn't have realized without the subtitles. Because they tell yeah. you when one song ends and another Stops. begins. So mm-hmm. I, I, whoa, I did not realize how much kind of connecting, connecting tissue there was between uh, songs on this soundtrack. And Beatrice is breakdancing at a point to, no, 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 no. That's good stuff. <laughs> the O'Reilly of French fries, <laughs> Bob. Uh, she, uh, uh, she's cutting people's feet off. <laughs> their arms, everything. Uh, finally, we're left with one grunt, and it's a little boy, and we get the spanking scene, which this is what you get for fucking around with the Yakuza. Go home to your mother. <laughs> It's perfect. It's just, ugh, man, it, ugh, it's perfect. It really is. Uh, and it uh, even makes you feel for like uh, the bride as a character too, because yeah, you know, she's, she is a little compassionate. She has a limit. She's reasonable ish. Um, yeah. yeah she's well, Heather, cool. Heather did say at the beginning, like poor girl, when, you know, the mother is slaughtered in front of Nikita green or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but Clearly she has, you know, a, a plan and mm-hmm. some sympathy in regards to some things. Yeah, I think she has a lot of honor. Yep. Uh, which we'll find out in Kill Bill Volume 3, I hope, <laughs> someday. Uh, where were we? Okay, dark fight, spanking, fucking around with the Yakuza. Leave your limbs! They are yeah. mine! Yeah, <laughs> and But Sophie... Mind. You stay right where you fucking are. <laughs> I, I kind of feel bad for Sophie. I, you know, she's the henchman of mm. uh, of a terrible Yakuza boss. But at the same time, her only crime was really just like answering the phone. Mm. Well, Tarantino's, yeah, Tarantino's idea is that Sophie trains young Nikki to come fight Beatrice mm. again. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, well, that's what he threw out to us, so I don't know. We'll see. He said perhaps that could happen. Yeah. Uh, but I do like that. And then she goes to confront uh, Oren in this snowy Japanese garden. Which I Very... love. Because oh, it... you're like you're in this house of blue leaves for so long already. You're in here for like maybe 45 minutes. and then No, it, it's not. It's like 20 minutes. It just feels longer. Oh, wow. Well. In- that's very interesting yeah i thought it was i thought it was much longer than it was no but, uh, it feels long in a very good way because i don't want it to end but then you know you're so like you've made yourself at home in this setting <laughs> and then just all of a sudden she slides open this door this like window and it, it really is like a window into another world it's mm-hmm. crazy how transportive that moment it's is. quiet the music cuts it, it's oh. almost like a it almost gives you wizard of oz vibes yeah like when you uh first peek into emerald city um initially the theme from death rides a horse composed by Emilio marconi r.i.p is playing uh when the bride confronts Owen ishii but then it transitions into um, don't let me be misunderstood. I forget the band, but it's covered by like ten thousand bands, and this is just yeah. the intro, and it's a fucking bop. The soundtrack is a bop, oh, like yeah. it. It's so good. Um, <laughs> but uh, they have a little confrontation either before or after I put down. Um, uh, Oren suggests that this isn't a Hatori Hanzo sword because he gave up, 
And Matt, I know you posed the question, why is Oren Ishii named Cottonmouth? Well, I have the information for you right now. Ooh. So Cottonmouth, all the, the deadly viper assassination squad are usually named after poisonous snakes. And like Cottonmouths, Oren usually kills her foes in two strikes. So she hits the bride once in the back with that backslash. And then she's going for the finishing blow. So it would take two strikes to kill her kill her opponent. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh uh, do not let me be misunderstood as playing. Uh we get another iconic take a shot line. <laughs> silly Caucasian girl likes to play with samurai swords. Oh, <laughs> uh, silly Caucasian boy likes to host an uh, a nightcaps podcast <laughs> about Japanese culture for no reason because he's a nerd. <laughs> hey, that's true. Doesn't flow as well, but it's something else. <laughs> Nevertheless true. Uh, and then Heather and I, big drag race fans, there's a lot of drag reveals in this. You know, we get we get L Driver as nurse from, you know, hot couture jacket. We get uh, we get Gogo as a character. We get the bride herself from her yellow jumpsuit with the oh, helmet. Yeah. But this reveal has it how has it not been done on drag race? Because in their final strike, they're both like, come at me, Oren Ishii and Beatrice come at one another, and Beatrice slashes off <laughs> Oren's wig to reveal her scalp <laughs> and brain. This this would be my reveal. No one would get it, but the fans would get it, and I would win <laughs> the season of Drag Race. That'd be pretty perfect. I, oh, how has no one done it yet? I don't know. That is crazy. And you oh. even see the wig, or you know, in her case, yeah, the real scalp. You see it like fly, fly across the screen. You can or, even just shave your head and paint down like a brain reveal. Like, it, yeah, you don't actually have to scalp yourself <laughs> as much as you would want to. <laughs> oh, it, it's just too perfect. I, I'm glad I chose this movie because I love this fucking movie. <laughs> Uh, all right. So after that, uh, Oren asks, "That really was a Hitori Hanzo katana natada." <laughs> and the bride takes a seat and reflects on what she's done. On a plane back home, she crosses Oren off her list, meaning that this scene took place before the prior action of the film in Volume Two. Yeah, literally ninety percent um, of this movie is in the past. Yeah. And the bride walks away and keeps Sophie in the trunk of her car for questioning before kicking her down a hill to the hospital. Which is great. She rolls so oh. far. Oh my god, she rolls so far in like a champ in this scene with one arm. <laughs> and, I and none of the like paramedics, none of the medical staff questions like where she rolled in from. Well, no, they notice her and like she rolls up and like stops two feet later, and then they're like, oh shit, there's a woman here. <laughs> they're not gonna ask like how she got there. No, I don't. I don't know. Uh, I maybe, don't. Know. I guess some questions uh, are better off not asked. And then we get Sophie reconciling with Bill. The connection to Lady Snowblood is further established by the use of the Flower of Carnage as the closing theme for the film. Um, we see Beatrice talking to Sophie. Every time you don't answer a, a question I ask, I'll cut something off and keep Sophie alive to tell Bill uh, he will soon be dead. Beatrice writes her list on the plane. We get Revenge is Never a Straight Line, and then a cliffhanger slash future watch. The best way to end a movie. But did she know that her daughter is still alive? Like, mm -hmm. what the fuck? <laughs> like, ah! 
<laughs> this would have had me scream in the cinema show. <laughs> I would have uh, got up out of my seat and snapped my fingers at the screen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's pretty goddamn brilliant. It's uh, perfect. Oh, uh, so some final notes. Tarantino did not come to the realization that the bride's child could still be alive until the last four or five months of the writing process. He originally wrote Bill to be played by Warren Beatty, famous for La La Land, gifting La La Land the winner when Moonlight deserved it. (laughs) But as the character developed and the role required greater screen time and martial arts training, he rewrote it for David Carradine. Uh, James Last... Kind of an insult to Warren Beatty. Well, I've seen Warren Beatty and he's not my fave in some things. Uh, James Last, The Lonely Shepherd by Panflute Virtuoso, George Zamfir plays over the closing credits and throughout the film. And that's my last note, Matt. We made it through in a kind of snappy episode. Yeah, I, I like honestly, it helps that at least a third of the movie is all action, which is yeah. uh, hard for us to describe. And it really just recommend you just watch it yourself. Oh my goodness. So any final thoughts and pizza rating, Matthew Cabrera? I mean, this is, I think this movie is an impressive feat just in general. Um, No pun intended. From the, like I mentioned, that cold open, um, which is kind of action-packed. It's very intriguing. Um, I love the record scratch, and I love uh, Beatrice's voiceover going on. So you're probably wondering how I got (laughs) It's the pursuit of happiness. (laughs) (laughs) But no, just really from the jump, it really um, just has your mind aflutter with all the possibilities. And it does not, I've already said it before, but it does not let up. Like anything that you could have come up with in your own mind is surpassed by what is actually shown on screen. Um, it's super impressive. It is, uh, really uncomfortable when it needs to be. Um, it's funny when it needs to be. It's obviously action packed and well choreographed. It's just even more obviously incredibly stylish. Um, and it just pulls it off. It's, um, oof, it might be the best <laughs> showcase for like Tarantino's, uh, uh, what's the word? I guess predilections, mm-hmm. um, his tendencies. Oeuvre. <laughs> yeah, it all uh, comes together in this in this one work. Um, I did mention before, like I, I have a, a few maybe minor gripes. Very speak sm- them, nitpick. speak them. I need to know. Yeah, I mentioned before that it is a little bit slow at times, with maybe a bit too much backstory dedicated to the. Uh, to the bride's victims um, because, you know, at the same time, there are a lot of outstanding questions that we have by the end of the movie. Mm. Like just what is her whole relationship with Bill? I mean, it's, we kind of get a glimpse of it, but um, I don't know. I kind of, I, I still want more of that. I want more of um, how this group came to be. I want more of, um, just what their relationship was like. And of course, what led to um, Beatrice's assassination attempt um, at the uh, wedding chapel, which is, I, I don't think even all of that is trapped is answered in volume two, but you know, the most important questions are. Yeah. Yeah. So um, 
you know, maybe if the movie could have dedicated a little bit more to that, but, um, yeah, and I would say maybe a tiny bit slow at times, but even, even then it really isn't just because there's so much within it to keep you going and keep you, um, interested until the very last second, the very last, uh, word of dialogue. Mm. Um, he really blended, uh, an incredibly unique set of influences and inspirations into something that um, is maybe not wholly original, but it's it's wholly Tarantino. <laughs> and, you know, it's just such a passion project that, um, or it's just such kind of a labor of love of all, everything that he loves about film that I think it really got through to the audience. And that's why it's, so many aspects of it are iconic and relevant to this day. Um, mm. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's honestly a pretty important movie just because it has uh, probably influenced so many other filmmakers who came out after this, including possibly even uh, Edgar Wright with Brian, uh, Brian Lee O'Malley. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, I guess I'm going to wrap up my thoughts there, and I'm going to give it... <gasps> hmm. Even while... Remember, pizza is a commodity. <laughs> while I'm thinking about it... Okay. I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of <gasps> 8 pizza slices. Oh, oh, Matthew. You really, <laughs> you really, you know, dunkaroo my dunkaroo dip <laughs> right there. You dipped oh, yeah. my dip in a dunkaroo. I oh. had it all. Oh my god, okay, so uh, what can I say about this film? It's one of my faves. This is a Tarantino pizza roll. (laughs) (laughs) It is bingeable, it is reheatable, you can watch it again and again and again and still have a fun time with it. Uh, Even without the Chicago music playing in the background, (laughs) which I I highly recommend just to see what my childhood was like. um, And what shapes me into the adult I am today. What can I say about that? Like, it's the perfect cast, and we've only met half of them. Because Volume 2, they come along. I will admit Volume 2 is the lesser film, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And there will will be people that go against me for that. But I think Volume 1 sets the stage in such a way that you are so intrigued. You are so entranced by what's going on in The Bride and her revenge tale that you cannot help but watch what's coming next. Like, you can't... Like, what... Like, I need to see. I need to know. And, you know, I'll, I'll say it here. We'll watch it eventually before episode 100, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's hard not to be incredibly hyped for volume two after watching this one. Yeah. And then volume three. <laughs> well, yeah. Eventually. Uh, but I I got to give it a solid full pie. Eight out of eight Ooh, pizza slices. I did it. Nice. I threw the gauntlet. I know I'm biased. I give it for my own movies. Well, you know what, audience? <laughs> I don't see you on this podcast. <laughs> Which, hey, if you uh, if you want to recommend a movie, yeah. we are open to suggestions. I, I mean, we got a few, but they're probably going to animate. It's not a mistake. I wouldn't subject them to... <laughs> to the the nightcappers amongst us but whatever um so eight out of eight matt before we go is there anywhere that our audience can reach you on social media that's a good question i guess um i'm going to be live streaming 
uh, myself fighting the uh, the crazy 69. Oh, um, I'm going to have a GoPro attached to my head so you can get a, an <laughs> FPV uh, first person view of what the experience is like. I'm going to be breakdancing with my katananas. <laughs> and um, that's a good name for a band, actually. Katananas. Yeah. And I'm going to... Um, well, it's going to be a lot like that movie... <laughs> One is it's not Dirty Harry, um, hardcore, oh. hardcore. Henry. Oh yeah, hardcore Harry. Oh Jesus fuck! I, I actually hear that one's not. Or is it Henry? <laughs> yeah, Henry. Yeah, hardcore yeah. Henry. Um, it's gonna be a lot like that, but uh, we're probably gonna be playing uh, Scandinavian chants in the background. <laughs> or Jackbox. <laughs> <laughs> or Jack. Yeah, or Chicago. Chicago chicago um you can find me jonathan kwiatkowski oh my god did i not know my own last name jonathan kwiatkowski <laughs> at losing my mind jk on instagram drink and read jk on twitter you can follow my other podcast nightcaps at the theater currently watching a kill la kill and nope. if you liked kill bill <laughs> you said your other podcast oh. is other podcast anime was not a mistake currently watching kill la kill and if you liked kill bill well i've got to kill a kill for that bill Mm. see how you got tripped up there that was a mouthful i try matt and you know my my senses kind of sap out of me when i'm slightly inebriated but matt i demand a hint i need a hint well (laughs) because fright caps at the theater starts my favorite time <laughs> exactly well we'll see if that holds up this Stop. year I, no I, so i don't know if you guys are aware the our audience members out there but we are being dragged kicking and screaming into the month of october against Ugh. our will uh normally i guess <laughs> as everyone knows spooky season is reserved spooky. for october yes but since well every other month this year has already been hella horrific if you ask me i'm hoping that with what i've got planned well, we're gonna have a good time <gasps> and so with that i will leave you with a hint, <gasps> a hint. <laughs> as usual marijuana saves an otherwise disastrous day oh i think i might know what this is <laughs> you might <laughs> because i'm such a horror hound <laughs> <laughs> oh we're in for a time it's oh, lucky. I'm excited. I think I have. I think I know. I think I know. I, I have two guesses that I think I know. I'm excited to hear. Oh, my God. All right. Well, see you next time, friends. <laughs> and enemies. All right, you bunch of movie-loving booze hounds, it's last call. You heard me last call. What do you mean? Who do you think you are? It's me, Jonathan Kwiatkowski, your resident nightcaps at the theater co-host, bartender, movie podcast curator, and pretentious cinema snob. Nightcaps at the theater, yeah, that's right. Oh, you heard of it? Well then, friend, let me top you off. It's thanks to people like you that this little show of ours can make it into the final reel week to week. How else could Mark fund his Funko Pop addiction or Mac create a new internet handle every episode to avoid the FBI? 
We can't thank you lovelies enough, but why not keep the party going? Do you want to have a conversation on campy cult classics, question foreign flicks, or massacre movie monstrosities? Then look no further. Reach out to us on social media. You can follow our humble little podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Nightcap Cinema. And if you aren't listening to us on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, whatever, and rating, reviewing, and for goodness sake, subscribing, well then, we might have to tell Aunt Ida to put some cha-cha heels on to kick your ass. I think I talked your ear off enough, though. But put that wall away. This last nightcap is on us.